Hey all, this is Katie Nakamura Ringers. I am talking to you today from Atlanta, Georgia, where our church planting and redevelopment team from the presiding bishop's office is gathered. This is our annual um, meeting where we just get to check in with one another, have some good conversations about the learning from our work over the last few years, um, look through some of the resolutions around church planting and redevelopment from general convention, and set some goals and plan events and conversations that we will invite you to join us in in 2023. And our conversations this morning were just so good and so rich that um, I asked the team if I could push record uh, so that you can, you know, sort of be the proverbial fly on the wall and listen in on a little bit of it. So I invite you here to do that, uh, to listen, and I really hope that this um, sparks many of you to want to um, join in with your voice in some of our online conversations upcoming, and hopefully even some of our events that we will host in person in 2023. Stay tuned to our website and our newsletter for more information about um, gatherings, conversations, and grants that are forthcoming. And here is our team. I'm Tom Brackett, Manager for Church Planting and Ministry Redevelopment on the Presiding Bishop's staff. I'm Sarah Alfin, and I am the Associate for Evangelism, Racial Reconciliation, and Care of Creation. And my name is Steve Matthews. I'm a consultant with Genesis 2, Revision and Renew. So you guys have heard me quote Henry Nowen in the past. Um, we've used this a good bit for some of our Genesis gatherings and Third Thursday conversations, but my Southern Baptist friend of all people introduced me to a book by Henry Nowen called In the Name of Jesus. Have you guys read it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, just fantastic. And um, in chapter one, on the very first page, one of the first lines he uh, he says something, I don't have it right in front of me, but he asks a question, something like, um, I ask myself, what decisions have I been making lately? And how are those a reflection of the way that I sense the future? And I feel like this team, we, we um, are a bunch of futurists in some way. We look a lot at uh, imagining what the future of the Episcopal Church looks like. Um, I've been accused by my husband of being a doomsday prepper sort of futurist. <laughs> um, not not doom not doomsday doomsday, but doomsday of the Episcopal Church yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of prepper. Yeah. yeah, like what happens when we're down to yeah. five remaining Episcopalians? I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the parochial report to to come out in a few weeks. When every member shows up at Executive Council. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but it leads me to, to, to ask that, you know, is there, um, are the decisions that I'm making now, are the decisions our team is making now, our, our general convention making now, a reflection of the way that we sense the future? And um, from which direction do we look at it? Do we look at the decisions we're making now and then sort of say, oh, I must sense the future this way? Or um, maybe in this group it's even more effective to say, what do you imagine the future of the church looks like? And now are our decisions lining up with what we perceive to be that future? What do you sense the future to be? How has that changed how you're coming at this work for what the church planting and redevelopment office is working on these days? 
My own response is uh, to ask myself pretty regularly, how would I conduct myself if I truly believe that my best days are just ahead of me? How do I act today in that, inside that belief? And I wonder what it means for us to lead with that same sense of awareness. How am I conducting myself as though the best days are right ahead of us, right in front of us? Tom, do you think there's many people who believe that the best days of the church are ahead of us? Like, what do you sense when you talk to leaders? I think it depends on how you define best or what you're thinking, what you're thinking of when you use the language of best days. Mm-hmm. A lot of people will use some past reference as a way of defining what is best, and it happens to include their favorite era and where the church was such and such. Sunday school classrooms are full, and all of our clergy were seminary trained, and one priest per steeple in a town, and everybody was very respected if they were leader in the, in the Episcopal Church. And if that's the best, then, well, I don't know. No, I don't, I don't meet too many people who think that's, that's coming back. Some still live as though they, they expect that it's going to come back, but most, eh, it's kind of sketchy. So what is best? Earlier, when we were talking about this, we were saying there's some disruption that accompanies emergence or when the Spirit does something new in our midst. There's always disruption, a little bit of heat, something coming in and messing things up. So if we looked at disruptions that are going on right now, what might they point us toward? Yeah. That was a way of reframing it for me. Mm-hmm. What would you add, Steve? Um... I'm thinking along the lines of the churches that we work with in Genesis 2. And they often come in not quite sure where they're heading, but they recognize that they don't want to continue on the path that they've been on. In other words, Mm -hmm. it does matter that they pay the bills and that things at church continue. And they are hungry for a compelling vision that's going to take them somewhere else. Not just there but somewhere else. So it's not an either or, but a both and. Mm. And so, you know, I think that there's hope for me. It gives me a great deal of hope and it gives people hope when I think that they are looking at both where they've been and trying to figure out how to honor that and how are they cultivating and creating a compelling vision that is somewhat irresistible to the community, to the church at large, that causes some shifts. Um, and the shifts are relational. They're not just programmatic. They're people growing in knowledge of one another and the possibilities of how they can work together in the community. And, and so when I think about uh, hope, and it's a very active hope. It's like when, once you step outside the walls of the church and you see the, uh, and meet you know, the Christ and others, Christ in the neighborhood, uh, the Spirit meets you, and all of a sudden it's a configuration that you could not have anticipated. It opens things up in such a way that that there's a lot of energy um, and there's a lot of possibility and hope, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think for me, thinking about the choices that I, we make now I imagine a future that is relational, that is about helping not only individuals, and and it would be about 
helping communities thrive in all of their diversity. Um, really just a beautiful interdependence type of view, not utopia, not without chaos and mess, but with a recognition that, you know, Jesus hung out with everyone. And if a church, say the Episcopal church or any type of, we'll say denomination is to stay relevant, then I really believe that that has to involve participation in life outside of any set space. It has to interact with the fact that we, we live in community, that we, as human beings, we long for relationship. Um, and hopefully that is relationship of mutuality, of equity, something that's sustainable mm. also with the earth. So maybe I'm getting a little ahead of myself. And I just imagine church thriving in places, spaces that involve community and relationship. Nice. Mm. I think maybe I'd add in two things. Um, one is that if you look at the church planting resolution, celebrating new Episcopal communities from general convention, if you want to look it up, it's in the virtual binder, AO95. <laughs> And it repeats an intention from even from the last triennium to really prioritize church planting among people who have been historically underrepresented in the Episcopal Church for whatever reason, whether it's um, because of disability or folks who are LGBTQ, um, people of color, people of um, uh, working class and blue collar workers, you, you know, whatever it is, maybe even certain geographic parts of the country. Um, and there is a sense in which that really looks forward to a future in which if, if we choose to embrace it, um, is almost of that same level of the early, the early church going from a primarily Jewish movement to one that encompassed the whole, you know, the, the known world in that space and time, um, it was a, a shift. So for us, a shift between being a primarily, um, I think Ellen Roxburgh talks about it, a Euro tribal church, right? Our, our tribe being, you know, Church of England, right? Um, to one where many of the church plants I observe growing the fastest are our Arab and Asian and Latino um, church plant, African diaspora church plants. Um, and and that's a that's a that's a huge shift, mm -hmm. but it's also kind of a a step we can make in faith right now, and some mm -hmm. decisions we can make right now that might be really controversial and hard to make, mm -hmm. um, but would point toward a, I think, a future that's better than the present, yeah. <laughs> maybe better than the past, right? Yeah. Um, that's one piece, and then I'm just reminded in this conversation I read in the New York Times a few weeks ago, Pew Research, is it Pew Research? One of those other research, did you see this? That... Um, Within the next century, Christians will be a minority in the country? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the article, of course, didn't make any assumptions about what that would mean or description of what that would mean. It just, it just said, hey, this is, this is what we're heading for. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not sure where my question is in that. But I sort of sense that there's a couple of different approaches to it. One is the 
oh, batten down the hatches. We need to become small, persecuted sort of house church community. Mm-hmm. We're not going to be the majority culture anymore. Um, and then the other approach is what I've heard, I think, each of you saying is that it becomes more community-driven, mm-hmm. thinking less of the people inside the church as the church and more of um, kind of the wider image of God's kingdom that yeah. encompasses all our neighborhoods. I love it. And I think, you know, it's it's a beautiful vision. It's probably a controversial vision, yeah. even within the denomination. Isn't it? Yeah. There's a metaphor that you've been relying on in several of your invitations lately. And it comes from that book that I think is entitled Canoeing the Mountains. Whether or not you've read the book, the metaphor is pretty powerful. So my parallel question is, what if the real objective is making a pilgrimage and finding ways of staying together and seeing the provision made for us to make the pilgrimage as we follow spirit, wherever spirit may lead us. And, and what if our best days depend on us recognizing that we're grieving a leaky canoe, but we're in the mountains? Is it okay for us to leave the canoe behind for the sake of being able to make this pilgrimage together and not grieve unnecessarily, that the real point of it is not to do this well in, as a, in a canoe, and not to teach people to canoe really well, as much as to say, we're called to make this, this, this journey together. How do we do it and stick together while not bringing along anything that is unnecessary for that objective? So could our best days be ahead of us? I think some of that depends on whether or not we're willing to traverse the mountains without the canoe. I did a Genesis podcast episode with Fred Vergara several months ago. And he made the statement that, and he, he really sees the future of church, of the Episcopal church in terms of the new America, in terms of, mm-hmm. um, of course, he's our, our Asian American minister. So that's primarily his perspective. Um, mm-hmm. So in terms of the growth of Asian America ministries and churches and Latino churches. Mm-hmm. Um, but he he makes the statement toward the end of that podcast that the, he sees the future as more people and less money. And until he said it out loud, <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I, if I had sort of in my body felt the implication of the river that now becomes a mountain in that statement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're not used to that. Mm-mm. Episcopal Church is not used to that. Mm-mm. And yet we have 2,000 years of history where mm-hmm. ministry did not cost what it's costing us today because of the model that we're using. It's very expensive to be hauling a canoe over the mountain range. If you want to say, well, what is the canoe? You know, in this metaphor, it's everything not necessary for achieving our objective, making a pilgrimage together. Wow. I listened to a podcast called The New Churches Podcast that I, I like to recommend it. So if you, um, if you are listening and you want a good church planting podcast, I recommend it. It's sometimes distractingly non-Episcopal, so sometimes distractingly evangelical, you know, kind of assumes male church planters, you know, et cetera. Um, but they make, in many of the episodes, they'll make the statement, church planting costs nothing. Yeah. Nothing. You want to start a start a community of faith. It doesn't won't cost you a cent. But it feels like that the thing that it does cost us is giving up our models and our ideas. Like you know, yeah. 
and that that is that is very costly. And we we were talking earlier today about moving. You know, we use the word collaboration, which feels kind of like oh, that's a catchword. That's kind of cool, but it's not particularly revolutionary. It's easy enough to collaborate with the people who do our soup kitchens or we work with or our nonprofits that we're associated with. But to move from from independence to collaboration to interdependence mm. is a real twist. And so, you know, you might need help carrying that canoe. You know, it's not enough. You may have to make new friends to carry that canoe. Or you may meet friends who say, that canoe isn't worth anything. Let's just chop it up and burn it. Mm-hmm. And let's figure out how to move over the mountain together. I'll be your guide. Mm-hmm. But my great-grandmother made that canoe. I know. <laughs> but the guides are the ones who are the new harbingers of the spirit. Mm-hmm. And we don't even know them yet. Yeah. You know, we don't even know who, who where the light is in our community sometimes because we're so tied to the places where we... we operate and live and run our circles so how do we get out of that mindset enough to to recognize the gifts that are around us uh, and the people that are around us that are going to come to us with new ideas of uh, how the spirit moves and what the spirit is inviting us into Um, and we can't we can't do that if we are always fashioning some new accoutrement for the canoe all the time. Mm. So, I'd love a cup holder on that canoe. Or I swear, a, I was a little, just thinking a cup holder. <laughs> a little bit of padding would be great. Uh, or maybe we even need a motor for those slow, you know, those, yeah, yeah, yeah. those spots that don't move so well, you know. So uh, those are great questions, and, and it is a mighty fine canoe, and, it, and maybe it's okay to honor that. But to get out and just leave it and see what's, what's out there. Sacred canoes make fine cross-country skis and walking poles, too, right? <laughs> so could, could we imagine our best days might yet be ahead of us? I'd say yes, a resounding, definite yes, if we're willing to recognize that this is a new day, that we are be, being called to do the same old things we've done for 2,000 years, but in very new ways, and that therefore we need to adjust our vision to embrace those realities. So maybe, maybe the disruptions we're experiencing right now are, are really good for us. Earlier we were talking about maybe it's a gift that we don't have enough clergy right now. Maybe it's a gift that we're finding ways of hosting new ministry without church-wide funding in many cases because there isn't money for it or local diocesan money for it. Maybe, um, maybe the buildings don't need to have tall steeples on them seven days a week. Maybe there's a Sunday morning sign that this is a gathering space, but the rest of the week it's being used for something that benefits the whole community and so forth. There are lots of examples of that. What's something each of you are looking forward to in 2023? We're here planning our next calendar year. What's especially sparked your, your energy? Well, we just finished a conversation about a list of people whom we're excited about inviting into a shared conversation. And I'm looking forward to spending a few days with folks rubbing shoulders, hearing their stories, asking them these questions, sharing meals, really getting down to the heart of the matter over a few days together. I like thinking about the support structures uh, the two pieces, the, the people who are doing the work that maybe 
don't really know they're doing the work because they're doing it in so much isolation and they think nobody else is mm. where they are. Mm. And so to be able to begin to find those people and say, you actually are not alone, and then to surround them with really wise people who can help them mark the paths and, and, and guide them and inspire them you know, into deeper love and mutuality with one another and with their neighbors, yes. you know, to, to be able to locate and network uh, the people who are doing this work. Nice. For me, I am, I'm really excited that this is an adventure. There are a lot of what ifs and depending on one's mindset, it could become, you know, scary, overwhelming, depending. And, you know, I'm really choosing to see this as what are the possibilities of getting outside of comfort zones and what does it mean to just like pilgrimage and see where things go. So I'm hoping to really connect with just where the spirit is moving all over and across um, the wider church and just being like, Ooh, yes, I see that. Or, Oh, I hadn't thought of that before. Thanks for opening me up to, something new, something different, I something I hadn't considered. Um, so in a way, I guess it's what I'm looking forward to is learning to actually trust the spirit and just kind of be like, all right, what are we up to today? Yeah. Katie, how about you? Hmm. I was just thinking one of our one of our events it's actually not 2023 but um it's coming up soon i i this was a first for me i publicized it on my personal facebook page just because we have a facebook page for new episcopal communities but all the facebook algorithms it gets far fewer mm. um views than my page does and the cool thing was that it stirred up some conversation among people I never would have thought would be remotely interested in church planting or new Episcopal community. So a friend of mine I haven't seen since seminary is actually now registered to come to this event. Steve, you ended up in a Facebook chatter with somebody I knew in high school. Wow. You didn't know who it was. I was uh -oh. <laughs> Just a back and forth about yep. what is congregational redevelopment. Um, and I think we're moving from a church planting model that uh, in the, I don't know, 80s, 90s, maybe even early 2000s was quite top down, was a, a, um, a diocese looking at a map and saying, where do we not have an Episcopal church? Where can we put one? And can we strategize around that to a model that really is, um, that really is bottom up and especially post COVID, um, where rather than a, a, a bishop identifying an area, somebody who really has a, a passion for a neighborhood and a longing and wants to share their faith with, with friends that are not already part of the church is saying, maybe I could start something. I see a need. Mm -hmm. um, and so they're responding to this invitation to, uh, to participate in this network and, and learn and grow. So I'm excited about more of that. Um, throwing the topic out there. Who... Who's interested? Who's got a passion for church planting, redevelopment, and just see what bubbles up? Woohoo! Woohoo! We done? Yeah. All right. All right.